Hey everyone, this is Engage the Word with Elizabeth Rodriguez, a podcast created to equip and encourage you to pursue God by engaging His Word. I'm your host, Elizabeth Rodriguez. Last week, I was looking forward to recording a discussion about engaging the Word with a dear sister in Christ. However, (laughs) the day that we were supposed to meet, there was a medical situation in my family that required a trip to the ER, which meant that I had to postpone the interview. Now, our schedules did not allow for us to meet yet, but God willing, you can look forward to that in the near future. Over the years, I've learned to hold everything loosely, and this podcast, well, (laughs) it's no exception. Because my goal is to glorify God, I will follow his lead regarding the topics that he wants me to cover, trusting that he is sovereignly and providentially working things out in his perfect timing. So in episode two, I shared a quote with you from Ivan Mesa. Here's what he said. There is more to the Christian life than Bible reading, but not less. Done well and consistently, even, or especially when we don't feel like doing it, the decision to regularly make time to commune with the Lord through his word can powerfully shape our affections, convict us of sin, spur us toward evangelism, draw us closer to other believers, and more. So, after giving very brief examples of how God's word began to transform me by shaping my affections, convicting me of sin, spurring me on toward evangelism, and drawing me closer to other believers, I realized this week that each one of those topics could actually be an episode in and of itself. Thus, my topic for this week is how God's word shapes our affections. Thomas Chalmers wrote a famous message entitled, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. I really like the illustration that John Piper used to summarize the point of Chalmers' message. So ponder this for a second. If you had access to all the latest machinery in a sophisticated science lab, what would be the most effective way to get all the air out of a glass beaker? So think about that for a second. What would be the best way to get the air out of the beaker? Well, your first thought might be to create some sort of a vacuum, maybe, or try in some way to suck the air out. But the funny thing is, this is really a trick question. You don't need the latest machinery or a sophisticated science lab in order to do this. The most effective way to get all the air out is simple. You fill the beaker with water. So Piper writes, How shall the human heart be freed from its love for the world? How shall the air of world love be removed from the soul beaker? Well, by replacing it with another kind of love, a love that is, as Piper says, not a duty one performs, but a delight one prefers. So the way to remove our affection for the world and the things in this world is to replace it with affection for Christ and the things of God. He is worthy of our affections, not this world. 
Why? Well, because nothing in this world will ever surpass the greatness of the living God. I'm telling you, creation cannot stoke the flames of your heart more than the creator of all things. In Christ, through the power of his spirit, he can awaken affections within us that we cannot even begin to fathom. So what do I mean by our affections? Well, ask yourself a couple of questions. What does my heart cling to? What brings me the greatest pleasure? What do I delight in? Have I ever experienced deep, abiding joy? So consider the parable of the hidden treasure. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Think about this. What does the text say? Why did the man sell all that he had? He sold it because he found treasure that brought him greater joy than all of the things that he already had. Isn't that incredible? What kind of treasure could evoke such a response from us? I can think of only one, and that is Jesus. For the first 18 years of my life, the quote-unquote heir of world love filled the beaker of my heart. But now, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, God's love has been poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to me. This is really important for us to understand because we cannot do this ourselves. It is impossible for us to set our affections on anything other than the world and the things in the world without the word, without Jesus Christ himself. We get to love Jesus and set our affections on him only because he first loved us and demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, rejecting and rebelling against him in our thoughts, words, and actions. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before I share the story of how God began to shape my affections, I want to look at a passage of scripture together. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 3, verses, starting in verse 12, and then we're going to go all the way through chapter 4, verse 6. This is Paul's second letter to the church of God in Corinth. In chapter 3, Paul writes about both he and Timothy being ministers of the new covenant in Christ, a covenant of the Spirit in Christ, a greater covenant than the covenant of which Moses was a minister. It's greater because it is permanent and its glory will never, ever come to an end. Okay, so if you've got your Bible handy uh, or your device, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, and I'll read all the way through chapter 4, verse 6. All right, here we go. God's word says, Since we have such a hope, 
we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then chapter 4 begins, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? I know it's... It's unsettling to think about things this way, but the fact is that those who have not trusted in Christ are living in spiritual darkness, blind to the truth of the gospel, unable to see or to delight in the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. So what will it take for a person to come to that point where they rightly understand who Jesus is? and repent and trust in him by faith. Well, (laughs) if you've ever shared the gospel or heard someone share their personal testimony, you know that it's different for everyone. I mentioned in episode number two that I had the wrong idea about God very early on. I grew up thinking that God was scary, impersonal, and unapproachable. I didn't even know that a relationship with God was possible. My family attended church regularly, but that church taught me very little about the God of the Bible and nothing about what it means to know him. When I was 12, we moved to a new town where we attended a different church. And it was there that I began to hear scripture taught line by line. It was there that I began to hear about the God of the Bible and his great love for his people. And it was there, actually, uh, come to think of it, that I really saw people who genuinely were believers that had the spirit of the Lord inside of them. I could not have articulated that at the time, but looking back, I know that that's what I saw. 
and recognize there was something different about them. I still remember the first Bible verse that I ever memorized. It was John 3.16. Maybe all of you out there uh, might, might have memorized the same first one. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Though I did not understand the significance of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, I remember really wanting to. Honestly, the thought of a love like that moved me because I thought that love was something that, well, I thought love was something that I had to earn. I tried to earn love by being the best, you know, I was trying to earn love from people and, and from God, I think. I tried to be as perfect as I could possibly be, which, if you think about it, as a human being, is not very perfect. Um, I tried to be the best daughter, the best student, the best athlete that I could be. I wanted my life to mean something, to have value. And I thought that I was the one that gave it value just in and of myself and because of the things that I did. When I, um, when I graduated from high school, by the world standards, I was a success. I had earned a full scholarship to run track at the University of Michigan, but I turned it down actually to stay in state and run at the University of Maryland where I did not get a scholarship. Um, for years, life had been all about who I was, what I could do, and where my dreams would take me. My identity was tied to the only thing that I believed I was good at. I could run really fast. And I could hurdle like nobody's business. <laughs> well, freshman year of college, my world collapsed. I can't go on to all the details, and actually I don't think that they're important, but... I made some bad choices and I ended up having to leave school, which meant that I would not be able to run anymore. The one thing that gave me value, I believed as a person. So I went home and I spiraled into a deep depression and I was consumed, I mean, consumed with thoughts of suicide. On Sunday, December 27th, 1992, I was in church with my family. So yeah, I was still going to church. And as the service ended, we started to sing a song. I'll just read you the words because I don't think I could sing it right now. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I had heard that song countless times before, but it was really as if I was hearing the words for the very first time. Not one person in that room, not even my family, knew what I was, well, they didn't know what was going on inside my mind and my heart that morning. They didn't know that I felt like the biggest failure and the biggest fraud on the planet. 
and they had no idea what I was planning to do to myself. As I sang the words, I realized that I was a sinner. And in that moment, I felt unlovable. And God knew that. He knew the good, the bad, and the ugly. But he was willing to meet me right where I was, right then and there. I have the passage marked in my Bible. The pastor preached that day on Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which begins, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. I did not hear an audible voice, but the Lord spoke to my spirit and he said, Elizabeth, it's time. It was time. It was time to give up my impossible quest for perfection. What really blows me away as I think back on it now is that he called me Elizabeth. Now, growing up, Nobody called me Elizabeth. <laughs> my family, my friends, everyone called me Liz. Do you know what Elizabeth means? It means consecrated, pledged to God, set apart to the service of God. Man, his love even now just blows me away. I'm telling you, in that moment, the truth of John 3.16 just came alive for me. It's one thing to say, God so loved the world. It's quite another thing to say, God so loved me. And he did. And how did I know? He proved it, just as the lyrics of the song said. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. No one is righteous, not one. All of us have sinned through our thoughts, words, and actions. We all fall short of the glory of God. Before a holy God, we all stand guilty and deserve nothing but his wrath. We deserve an eternity of darkness, suffering, and separation from God. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the Father on our behalf, and he died in our place, in my place, as my substitute. God's desire is for us to be in right relationship with him. He wants us to truly know him. He wants us to spend eternity with him. And he made that possible because the story doesn't end with Jesus' death on the cross. On the third day, the tomb was empty. Jesus rose to life. He overcame our greatest enemies, sin, death, and the darkness of Satan himself. And he did it for us and for the glory of the Father. That's the glory of the gospel. Knowing Jesus changed everything for me. He put a desire in my heart to know him and to love him. And sure, life didn't suddenly become perfect. In fact, I will tell you, and I'm sure you've heard it before, maybe you just know it from experience, that when you become a follower of Christ, it gets harder. 
But this was the moment that God began to transform me from the inside out, awakening my affections for Christ in ways I could never have imagined. And we won't go into all the things today, but I pray that I'll have opportunities to share all of the different ways that he has awakened my affections for him through his word. Remember, it is by the grace of God that our eyes are opened and that we can turn from the darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God. That truth should bring us to our knees in prayer for the lost. It should also make us bold in declaring the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It should make us seek to grow in our knowledge of and love for Christ with everything that we've got. That we might live a vibrant life of faith, fully awake, until Jesus returns or calls us home and we get to see him face to face. Do not settle for anything less than Jesus. Set your affections on him. Do you know him? Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Trust in Jesus. And don't take my word for it. Open the pages of Scripture. Take God's word for it. He alone is worthy of our affections. Thank you so much for listening today. I pray that you'll join me again so that we can continue to engage the word together. To God be the glory.